good morning. The teaching text for today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 7. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. A day is going to come when all of your family and friends, all the people who know and love you best, are going to be gathered in a room like this. Your buddies from work and college friends and folks that you worked at camp with ages and ages ago, a room just like this. The pastor's going to stand at the very back, and out of respect, he's going to invite everyone to stand and then slowly begin making his way down the center aisle. And everyone's attention is going to be fixed on the people that follow, because what's following is the people who love you best. It can be your spouse or your children, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, maybe some of your best friends will be in the line. And tears are going to fill people's eyes because they'll see the ones who loved you the best bear their grief visibly. They'll begin to have their seed and the pastor make his way up to the pulpit. And he'll begin with these really familiar words. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I die and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and the grave. A slideshow of, of pictures of you will play Prayers will be prayed, creeds will be recited, songs will be sung, and people will get up one at a time and tell stories about you, stories that elicit a laughter and familiarity, and those who knew you a little bit are going to know you a little bit better by the end of the service. All of a sudden, in hearing from the folks who knew you the best, you are going to begin to make a little bit more sense, and they'll delight in your quirks and your eccentricities, and their hearts will be moved at the space of hearing your whole life story. The preacher will get up and give a message, a benediction will be spoken, and friends and strangers are going to come up to the folks who loved you the most. The little kids are going to be running around, folks are sipping punch and eating cookies, and then after a time of, of just fellowship and conversation and a somber procession, people are going to go out to their cars, and in a line they're going to drive out to a designated piece of land. And there they're going to lower your body into the ground. Soil is going to be placed on top and a headstone will be put in the place with your name, 
and your date of birth and your date of death. And for those you leave behind, those questions that often lie hidden behind the veil of noise and busyness will quietly come from the dark and into the light. And a unique window of vulnerability and reflection is going to open up. And they may begin to ask questions like, how do we make sense of death? What comes next? What can we hope for? I was listening to uh, the radio a couple weeks ago, and I heard this story of an author interview. And the author was talking about her book about the afterlife, which I have to imagine was pretty thin because admittedly she did not believe that there was an afterlife. And as she's having this conversation with the host, she conceded that for her, she maintained this belief that death was final or ultimate. There's no side B to this album. But then, almost like hilariously, in light of her belief that there's nothing after death, she kind of poetically put forth her preference for how things would go. That her spirit would be caught up with the universe and she'd have some kind of bliss. But to her own admission, this was just wishful thinking because she didn't believe that there was anything after this. Nothing in life had given her hope after death. One of my favorite songwriters is this guy named Connor Oberst. Like 15 years ago, Rolling Stone magazine called him the next Bob Dylan. He's a prolific songwriter, and he also writes super, super depressing songs, which tells you a little bit something about me. But Connor Oberst has this song called Triple Spiral, and Triple Spiral is like his own spiritual autobiography, and like many of his songs, it's really sad. And it captures some of the same lack of vision or hope that this author shared in the author interview. A line in the song says, that's the problem, an empty sky. I fill it up with everything that's missing from my life. Oberst names that he's got this core void. He lacks a story, a belief system, a source of hope that can anchor and ground him amidst all of the uncertainties of life. So he feels the burden to make one up. In another song, he just says, there are hundreds of ways to get through the day. You just find one. Now, skeptics may say that that religious belief in the afterlife is just a coping mechanism. So it doesn't matter if you call your deity Allah, Buddha, Jesus, or the flying spaghetti monster. They're all pretty much just stories people made up to feel less bad about the crushing reality of the finality of death. There's certainly nothing objective about them that gives actual grounds for peace in the present or optimism for the future. Now, the passage that we just read in 1 Corinthians 15 is is correspondence between an early church leader and members of an early church in the first century. And in the letter, Paul is giving a summary of Christian belief, like it, it represents a kind of early creed. He was quoting something that was commonly known among the people. The first half of the summary represents some of the main talking points of Easter that may feel super familiar, just the story. It says, what I received, I passed on as of first importance. Jesus died for us. He was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And all of it took place uh, in accordance with the scriptures or to fulfill the scriptures. What's the first half of the summary? The second half of the summary feels like it's shifting genres. 
And it may come off as a bit odd or even perplexing to some because the tone shifts from storytelling to like court reporting. It shifts from like weaving this narrative to calling witnesses and making a historical case, talking about something as if it actually happened. Paul says in the first half, Christ died, was buried, and was raised on the third day. But then in the second half, he says, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Now, Paul's summary of the Holy Week story, the, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, is followed by this curious appeal to eyewitnesses. He says, more than 500 folks, not a small number, can vouch that they saw with their own eyes that the guy who was dead was alive again. They could validate he was really and truly actually dead. The Son of God's heart stopped beating. But then, mysteriously, beyond comprehension, on the third day, he was really and truly actually alive. They saw him. They touched him. They talked with him. They even ate fish with him. And even more than their words, what really gives a person the impression that the early church followers like, actually believed this story was the suffering that so many of them were willing to endure in witness to the story. And not only to, enjo- to endure, but to joyfully endure as a consequence of their belief in Jesus. And, you know, it just doesn't take much pressure to recant a story that you don't think is true. It just takes, you know, a glimpse of wild beasts and gladiators who are armed and ready to kill you in the arena. It doesn't take very much but a glimpse of that to say, okay, 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 I made it all up. Or the prospect, like Peter, of being nailed to the cross yourself. It doesn't take much pressure to pull back and say, okay, we were just trying to keep the story going, but we all know it actually ended. Untold hundreds and thousands of followers of Jesus in the early centuries and since and even today suffered and died firmly believing that the resurrection of Jesus is something that actually happened. That Christ died and Christ was risen. And what they believe happened had a transformational effect on how they saw the past, the present, and the future. You see, because Jesus was raised from the dead as he predicted... It validated everything that he had said about himself in the past. It validated the whole story of creation and the human rebellion that he maintained, that the world was good and the world was broken. It validated the story of Israel that Jesus saw himself fulfilling, that through the family of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, one would come who would be a blessing to all the nations of the world, to heal the world. But what what happened with Jesus didn't just change their understanding of the past, present, and future of global history. It also transformed their personal experience of each. It changed their past. Now, every one of us in this room and everyone you know has said and thought and done things that you are ashamed of. Everybody has blown it at one point or another every single day. In some mysterious way, the first followers of Jesus understood that what Jesus did on the cross was beyond our comprehension, but it was for us. 
that the punishment he received was our punishment. We got let off the hook, walked away free. What he did on the cross was for us and for the world. The punishment and the wrath that humanity deserved for our innumerable failures and evil was piled on him so we could walk away blessed and loved and forgiven. We're living in an especially punishing moment in American culture and I think in global culture. And our culture right now has absolutely no framework, no story, no roadmap for how you take a person who blows it to be forgiven and redignified and then welcomed back into the community. Our, our culture has absolutely no framework for how a person can be restored after they've committed the unforgivable cultural sins. But the Jesus story did just that for those living in the first century, and it does now. That sinners and people who have blown it, people who have done the unimaginable, can be forgiven and can be redignified through Christ, through faith in Christ, and can even be restored to a community. The death and the resurrection of Jesus indelibly changed how they understood the past, both globally and personally. But it also gave them a renewed sense of the present. That God must be up to something good now because Jesus Christ was raised now. He said his kingdom was breaking into the world. It was sprouting up here and there like fresh blades of grass in a world that's only known winter and never Christmas. And it evoked in these people this sense of like, oh my gosh, how can I be a part of what God's doing now? The reality and the hope of resurrection gave courage in suffering and boldness and persecution and, and caused them to have this desire to join Christ in being light in a dark world. And it can do the same for us. Uh, this season in life has caused a lot of people to give in to despair. Some of you, it is miraculous that you're here today. It's the first time you're peering out in maybe over a year, first time you've worshipped in person. It's been a really hard year. Uh, between COVID and politics and race conversations and the many ways that all of that has affected all of our interpersonal relationships and jobs and schools and church, etc. Not to mention the physical and the emotional isolation. Lots of us have had a really hard time being a person, being human and being well this year and many lost hope. But in, in the worst of our darkness... We need only go back to the resurrection of Jesus to remind ourselves that all is not lost. We're in the middle, yes, of a dark chapter in a long story, but one whose ending, the ultimate ending, was forever sealed with hope because of what happened in the middle of the story when death worked backward. And for those of you who come in struggling today or having a difficult time, hold on to hope. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged. The story is not finished. And finally, Christ's resurrection gave them this profound sense of hope for the future, resilient hope for the future. This is later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn. Christ, the first, when he comes, 
those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now sometimes with words that are familiar, you actually lose the meaning. The truth is hiding in plain sight. and You overlook what's always been there. For early Christians, hope looked like this. Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, those who love Jesus and die will not be gone forever. One day he will return to raise the dead. And the dead will be given transformed physical bodies like his. And when he returns, death itself will be destroyed and all personal, institutional, and systemic evil with it. The cosmos, the earth itself will be renewed. God will be with us and will reign over us. And we will reign with him in the ages to come. And this is a hope that is just so much better and so much wholer, so much richer, so much more healing than just living on clouds or being a one with the universe or simply ceasing to be. This is a hope that rewrites our past and gives purpose to our present and holds us securely in view of the future. And it's a hope that we can actually hang our hat on because this story is true. Christ has died. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Uh, Leslie Newbegin said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and that changes everything. A few weeks ago, I got this prayer book, the second volume of a book called Every Moment Holy. I probably bought... uh, a couple dozen copies of the first volume and gave it to tons of you. But this one is really good, and it's, and it's focused on death and grief and hope. And I was looking through all the liturgies in this book, and, you know, a liturgy is nothing magic. It's just a way, it's like if you can picture a vine, a vine to grow needs something to hold on to. It needs a trellis. And liturgies are kind of like that. When we pray other people's words, it, it gives our prayer something to hold on to, some teeth. It gives it some structure. Because when we pray on our own, we often just pray our mother language, which is selfishness. And I found in this book a, a really surprising liturgy. And it was a liturgy for a person to film themselves reading for their own funeral. And today I'm going I'm to share this with you as a way of practically acting out Christian hope, as a way of practically retraining our minds and our hearts to function within an operating system of hope. So I would like to formally welcome all of you, I don't think I'll get to do this in the future, to my funeral. (laughs) Cornelius is not my middle name, but I like that, and I plan on living 190 years. So in a couple of minutes, maybe at the end of the service, we'll pass the mic and you can say nice things about me. But uh, for now, we're just going to share this liturgy together. Now, the parts in yellow are your part to read. And since it's my funeral, I really hope that you'll do a great job reading aloud in a nice, loud voice. So Chelsea, you got it from here? Okay. We, the family of God, are one body. We're not separated by time or place or language or race. Nor are we divided by death, for we all share the same Lord, the same faith, 
the same baptism. Read this line with me in yellow. Together we are the bride of Christ. We belong to the Lord. We belong to one another. Now, if you loved me, I hope you all love me, of course you'll grieve my absence from this life, even as I grieved those who went before me. But do not grieve without hope, my friends. My race is now run. My body will be planted as a perishable seed, but it will one day rise imperishable. Do you believe this? You do well to believe it. For Christ our Lord has conquered death, and he will come again to complete the renewal of all things. And what's more, in that triumphant day of the Lord, I will return with him. I will walk again in his creation when all has been made right, when all has been made new, and so will you. Do you believe this? So yes, lament this imposition of death. Grieve this sad goodbye, but cling to this fierce hope. I sleep, but I will wake again. And you will one day sleep as well, but you will also wake again. Christ has died and has been raised to life that all who receive him might be freed from the power of sin and death and might one day be raised again to eternal life, sharing in the eternal joys of the children of God. I have made this my hope. Have you? Then over us, death holds no power. Today, even as you hear these words, my hope has met its object. And I behold at last the fulfillment of all I have longed for in life. I dwell in the indescribable joy of the divine presence. All good things you yet enjoy in life are but pale echoes of that eternal source. So express your momentary sorrow, my friends, at losing me for a time. But grieve with great hope. For our God is faithful, His promises are true, and we will meet again in the world made new. We will meet again. Till then, may the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the power of the Spirit keep you and shape you through all the days He's yet appointed for you to live as His people in this place. May your labors for His kingdom be ever fruitful as your love for Him and for one another increases. And may our hearts be captured more by the hope of eternal glories, O Lord even as our days draw nearer to their completion. So goodbye for now, my friends. It's my joy to travel this pilgrim life with you. Now go in peace, with hearts stirred to labor faithfully and creatively, each in your appointed times and places, giving yourselves wholeheartedly to the good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. Run hard. Embrace your calling. Finish strong. And I will meet you soon in the world remade. Amen. There's a term coined by my favorite author. For that sudden happy turn in a story that seemed doomed to a sad ending, 
A moment that pierces you with such joy that tears fill your eyes. You thought everything was going to go to pot, but then suddenly things turned for the good. Can you think of one of these moments in a story that you love? He calls it a eucatastrophe. You cry because your, your heart just knows that in the story, it's heard echoes of a real cause for hope. That in reading this story, you've somehow mysteriously brushed shoulders with a living truth. That within your small story, you found a reminder of the big story of the God who has conquered death. A eucatastrophe has happened when the ruin of our lives intersects with the God who makes all things new. And the euka in this word comes from Eucharist or Holy Communion. This meal instituted by Christ whereby he promises to meet his people. To meet us in the middle of our mundane and broken and confused lives and restore our dignity and our capacity to hope. And this meal that we share weekly, but perhaps most especially on this day, is a taste and a teaser of the great feast that is to come when Christ comes in final victory and consummated the victory of the cross. Therefore, I get to share good news with you today. Are you struggling with your past? Hear the good news. Christ has died. He did that for us. Therefore, we can be redeemed. We can be forgiven. Are you struggling in your present? Hear the good news. Christ has risen. Even now, He's pulling for you at the right hand of His Father. Therefore, we have hope. And are you worried about the future? Hear the good news. Christ will come again. And all things will be renewed and restored. And we will be with Him. He will be with us and we will be his people and he will be our God and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that you catastrophic moment where joy and sorrow become intermingled and we see him who our hearts desire. Hear the good news. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we honor you as our risen king. We refuse to give in to despair. And even now, by your spirit, help us to do this. We refuse to be given over to shame forever because Christ has died. We will not let ourselves be defeated by anxiety or despair about the present because Christ is risen. And we trust in you, Lord Jesus, for a redeemed and renewed future because you will come again. Lord, I pray that you pour out your spirit on everyone gathered here. These gifts and bread and wine that we're about to share, make it be so much more than just a memorial meal for us. May it be a means by which, through the Holy Spirit, we experience the presence of the risen Christ. As we pray in his name and to his glory, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.